So hello and welcome to the second of a two-part episode of the 2020 season of the Shiny Side Up podcast, dedicated to improved production racing around Australia and hosted by Mick Hazelton and myself, Chris White. This episode was recorded on 15th of July 2020, and in tonight's episode, Mick and I are again joined by IPRA Queensland Committee President Drew Lawrence. This time, Drew discusses his own journey through IP, including his intro to the category in a Datsun 1600, his recent S15 build, and his time serving on the IPRA Queensland Committee. We also discuss his experience at the 2019 Nationals, driving his brother Aaron's S13, and much more. It's a long one, so I suggest taking your phone into the shed, grabbing a spanner and listening while you get your car ready for the next round of racing. Thanks again to Drew, and don't forget to subscribe on Facebook and in your podcast app for future episodes. Hope you enjoy the show. So, Drew, let's have a little bit of talk about you personally and your history in racing and your background. So, the first question, Drew, that we ask all our guests, and that is a fantasy IP car that you'd love to build yourself or that you'd love to see on track if you couldn't be bothered doing it yourself. And if time and money was no object, can you give us an idea of what sort of car you'd build if you had a blank checkbook and all the time in the world and something that you want to see on track? What would you build? Can I, can I answer with two options? Sure. <laughs> yeah, so look, I actually did this, and it was midway through the S15 build. Um, I investigated this car. I don't know why, but um, uh, Mercedes C55 W203, I think it's called. Um, I didn't really care too much about what the car is. Basically, the lightest V8 Mercedes that I could find um, and sort of... I'd heard that it was one of the lighter ones. Um, we had a, a C63 that ran with us uh, occasionally. In, in Yeah, yeah, Carl's car, um, in production car trim. And I saw kind of how good that was in, in production car trim and just went, wow, in a proper IP spec built appropriately. Um, not just that car, but a very lighter version of that could be a um, an absolute weapon. And... So I investigated that a little bit and sort of, to be honest, I, I, I went a fair way with it. I ended up even getting a contact with Erebus and calling them about um, purchasing an engine um, and sort of had figured that uh, they spent a lot of time developing those engines and certainly all the ancillaries and, you know, throttle inlet manifolds and all that sort of stuff. They did a lot of research and development on that and changing those engines. So I thought, oh, a six-litre version of that, an IP and a light um m3-esque style vehicle would be an absolute weapon um had a look at a couple cars and to be honest whilst they're pretty ugly on the inside and suspension geometry wise look very much like a you know bmw with a mcpherson strut front and a multi-link rear end with aluminium suspension components and you know when you when you think you know six liter supercar engine and appropriate gearbox blah 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 yeah well that's a good thing so, um, yeah, investigated that for a little while just out of um, curiosity more than anything. But I'd love to see one. I think it would be a, a weapon and you know, not necessarily a huge expense um, in the scheme of things. So, so you can't stop there. Why'd you stop? Like, I, like, why haven't you built this thing? I want to see it. Now. Well, it was in the <laughs> middle, of the, middle of the S15 build. And <laughs> so, uh, yeah, sort of fairly committed already to that, to that project. But uh, that's probably what stopped it. And I guess... The other thing was that the guys at Erebus said, oh, look, Betty is not going to sell you anything. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, so that probably canned that idea as well. So, 
it was just like you said, it was, it was uh, building a fantasy car and I, and I took it a little bit further and actually um, did a little bit of homework. So, yeah. Someone did, did one you... day will build that car or yeah. a C63. It's going to happen. Well, now you're allowed DSGs, then there's no reason not to because they've all got their really close first three to four gears that can pull the fat ass off the corner as well. So, you know, it's, um, yeah, I, I think that'd be a good thing as well, I've got to say. It'll happen one day, and it won't be far away. Someone, someone might even be building one. I don't know, but that would be that would be awesome to see. Um, what about your second uh, your second choice, Drew? A mate turned up at home the other day in a Lexus ISF, and it's um, like I had a bit of a look at it, and went, oh, yeah, it's, it's a Lexus, nice car, and I said, oh, it's a V8, and I said, oh, is it the one UZ thing? And he said, no, 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 it's the the two UR GSE, and I. I was like, well, what's that? And I did a little bit of research and looked into it, and it turns out it's um, it's a little bit better than the one you said. It's actually a five-litre V8 and um, a different architecture, and I sort of thought, well, again, um, similar sort of car, you know, um, obviously a touring car with four doors, and um, looked the part, a really nice-looking nice, nice looking car, but, again, very similar sort of to the to M3. It was, you know, McPherson yeah, truck front end. So you can get the big tire in there as well yeah the isf could be a good thing i just don't know if you can get the engine capacity well similar to wade's bmw you just can't just don't have enough torque to pull it around yeah i guess the 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 thing that i liked about the engine that it was it was already five liters whereas the b the beam is only four and a bit so uh yeah i thought well there's obviously ways to get that engine bigger obviously billet cranks and bigger bores and all that sort of stuff but uh yeah, starting with five litres certainly gives you a bit more scope than, than starting with four or four yeah. and a bit. Interesting. Cool. Well, we'll see if anybody ever builds one. I think I'm definitely confident that we'll see a Mercedes. It might be five or ten years, but we'll see one, I reckon. It's it's just too good a platform. And, um, yeah, obviously you're not the only one who's who's made the comment that, you know, the Mercedes platform offers potential in IP, and I'm sure other people have seen it. Just question question is, obviously it's going to take a bit of coin to build that car, uh, and it will be the first time someone's tried to do it in an IP spec car. So it will be, it'll take someone with a bit of nous and a bit of money to get it done, uh, and so a good quality build. Yeah, well, I think if it's done right, you'll see you'll see a car that will 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 impress. So yeah, interesting. And I guess our second question: if you could have a drive in any other car currently circulating in IP, Drew, what would you choose? Whose car do you think right now would be something that would be a lot of fun to drive and something you'd love to have a go in? Yeah, it's a bit of a tough one. I guess I'd I'd like to choose something different. Um, so yeah, to be honest, I'd like to have a I'd like to have a go in a good RX7. So, yeah, that, that'd be one option. And I suppose maybe it's a little cliche, but I'd also like to have a go in a V8. So, you know, you, tend, you trend towards race car there at the moment. So, uh, yeah, it's the front runner there. So, yeah, they're two good examples of stuff that, you know, is different to what I'm used to. So that's, that's the direction I'd look at. Cool. So, Drew, a bit about you. Who are you? Where are you from? And what do you do outside of racing? Well, I'm, I'm from a, um, a small rural community north of Brisbane in a little town called Maribor. I grew up there and eventually sort of migrated to Brisbane with uh, with university. So I'm a mechanical engineer uh, by trade. Um, so yeah, Brisbane's home and I've uh, been here for a number of years now, like 20 something years, so it's, it's home. 
Uh, what do I do outside racing? Well, not a lot to be honest. I go to I go to other forms of racing. I'm a true tragic in that regards, I guess. And uh, I'd say motorsport beyond IP is a passion. And I've got mates involved in in drag racing, and I like helping helping them. And I've got mates involved with, with speedway, so I attend a lot of speedway. And um, I also attend powerboat racing and that sort of stuff as well. I often travel down to Sydney to go to boat racing out at Windsor and those sort of places. So I'm a, I'm a motorsport tragic, so there's not a lot of room for other things outside of that. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of me in a nutshell, I guess. And it's a racing family, Drew. I know Aaron's obviously a racer. Um, and I remember watching a video somewhere on YouTube that suggested that you dragged him off to see Wayne Wakefield in the, in the wagon, and that's what got him hooked. Yeah, Aaron, Aaron's bang on there, to be honest. And, uh, I reflected on that a little earlier in terms of, you know, what sort of got us into this. And, you know, we, we grew up, you know, in a rural community and, you know, tarmac racing wasn't even a consideration or we didn't know about it. And, um, at, at, you know, dad, dad raced Speedway, actually, and um, he raced in a category that's probably akin to sort of super sedans now. And um, we were quite young, but uh, – and he gave it away while we were probably still quite young, but um, – we were probably at the speedway not too long after we were born, and even, even though he gave it away quite early, I think there must be something that transfers in the DNA that sort of <laughs> instills that 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 love of racing and, and that passion, I guess. And we didn't we didn't get involved in any form of motorsport um, as as kids, um, but we were involved in water ski racing for a number of years, and and that sort of I guess probably fulfilled that that need or desire. Um, we both ended up, you know, shipping off to university and, and travelling to Brisbane, and um, it kind of opened up this whole new world in terms of um, seeing tarmac racing and being exposed to circuit racing. And I guess probably just like Aaron, I have these vivid memories of um, you know, attending our first circuit racing meetings at Lakeside and seeing club cars. And, uh, yeah, just like Aaron, my, my memory is the same. I just remember this this thing that just came screaming down the straight and went through the kink at Lakeside without lifting and the car looked like it it twisted and was all over the place and it was like, my it God. Did. It did. It's just, the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the 808 wagon was known to hold a front wheel, inside front wheel in there, just like a, like a sprint car. Yeah, so it is actually um, that particular memory and that particular sort of initiation into the whole scene that started it all. I'm sure that's the same story for a bunch of people in Queensland, and uh, but yeah, yeah, it literally does go back to to those days, and you know, you sort of sit there as a as a fan, you know, just a guy on the fence, going, "My God, this is cool!" And um, again, they had reasonable diversity in in the cars back then as well, and uh, just seeing a bit of everything, and uh, yeah, just how fast everyone was going, and that just kicked it all off again, I guess, and. Uh, yeah, you go from that to being a, you know, a fan sitting on the fence and all to, you know, getting a car, getting involved, and then sort of, you know, journeying, going on that journey to to be actually part of the, the IP family and community. And I think that's why a lot of us are passionate about the category because it allows you to to make that transition from the guy on the fence to be um to be involved in in something or part of something that's bigger. And we're we're truly blessed in the fact that. The IP community is truly national. 
And so you do get a sense of um, once you're involved of being a part of that, and I think that just perpetuates your passion about the category. So that was certainly the case for me and obviously Aaron, and um, that's where it all started. So that firstly awesome story and well said. I think it's it's definitely a reflection on I think one of the reasons why IP is a category that has such a central place in grassroots motorsport in Australia. And I think it's probably a bit more professional now than it has been in past years, but still an accessible uh, form of motorsport for a lot of people. Drew, what was the process then in you going from sitting on the fence to sitting on the grid in your first race car in an IP grid? How did that happen? I guess somewhere along the line, I decided I liked Datsuns. I don't know why. I can't even remember why that was um but somewhere along the lines i decided i liked that in 1600s and basically the process was um fan on the fence getting hold of the rules somehow and i guess being technically minded an engineer just reading those rules over and over and over and over and over again and absorbing myself into them and and also reading the uh the classic uh book that's called how to hot race hot rod and race your Datsun, uh, which is a book that was published in the 70s by, uh, by uh, a mob. I think it was the Sharp Racing Group in um, in the US. So they were they were my Bibles, and I just read them over and over and over and over again. And I ended up getting a road car that was a Datsun 1600. And at some stage, I decided, yes, I want to take the plunge. And I, I bought this shell, and I was going to use it to make my first race car. And I, I then started getting involved or, or, or sort of attending hill climbs as well because that was something that was that was new to me and it's a great place I think to start hill climbs and sprints great place to start in in sort of tarmac motorsport so um, I ended up attending hill climbs in Brisbane as well and watching there and um, there are, as it turns out a couple really quick um, that's in 1600s at the hill climbs in Queensland and I got sort of familiar with those guys and followed them and you know IP spec and as it, as it turned out, became friendly with one of the guys that was racing and um, I, I reverted tact altogether all and changed from um, building my own to, to, to buying his roller at the end of the season when he upgraded to something else. And that kind of kicked off my actual involvement. Um, I suppose throughout all of that, I had some hero cars as well. And in those days, if you guys will remember the Fast Fours and Rotary's magazine, um, Phil Morris in particular in the Datsun 1600 with the FJ 2.4, uh, and also a guy called Rob Mills in, in Victoria that raced a two-litre car. They, they were sort of – I was sort of in awe of those guys, to be honest, and, um, um, yeah, they were well-publicised, and, you know, Phil's kind of like a bit of a – he was a bit of a, a cult hero for, um, for Datsun 1600 enthusiasts, and we actually had a guy in Queensland at the time that had almost like a, um, a sister car – to the Phil Morris car, again, being a um, FJ 2.4, and that was a guy called Alan McConnell, and he was quite a handy steerer, and watching that car go around Lakeside as well, you know, just kicked off that interest in, in 1600s, and, yeah, I got the I got the shell, the rolling shell, and um, me and Dad ended up building an engine and uh, worked our way into uh, to hill climbs. I remember actually getting the car going, and um, the very first time it, it actually saw a track was Lakeside, which is fairly daunting. Um, and the very next day, I went and competed in a hill climb, and it kind of all started from there. Quickly, um, hill climbing was great, but um, 
you know, wanted to wanted to go further. And in amongst all of that, Aaron actually got involved as well. And um, he bought an Escort. That was his first car. He bought an Escort and, and joined um, the IP club. And, um, you know, I followed across fairly quickly. And, um, yeah, we transitioned fairly quickly from, from doing the hill climb to... You know, you know, actually racing, and um, I can recall that that transition being just like an, a different order of magnitude in difference in terms of um, exhilaration and experience. I can remember the first the first race start and, and sort of uh, the anticipation and thrill of that compared to a hill climb. Um, they're just light years apart. So once you do your first start, your first rolling start, you're an addict in in my mind, and um, that certainly, um, that certainly occurred with me. So, Drew, when was all this? I mean, when did you get the – do you remember when you got the Datsun 1600 on track uh, and when were you campaigning the car? Um, I think I bought the car in 98, somewhere around then. So by the time we were going and into, you know, improved production and circuit racing, it was probably 2000, 2001, something like that, so – yeah, around that sort of era, yeah. And how did that car treat you? Oh, look, to be honest, it was great. Um, at the time, you know, underpowered, it was an L-series. Um, but, you know, I liked to tinker and spend a lot of time on suspension geometry and doing my best to, to sort of improve the car. And, you know, um, that that's the beauty of a category as well, is that perfect balance between engineer and driver. And for me, that was the attraction. And you know, we just kept chipping away and... You know, when you're young, you don't have a lot of money, so you're just doing the best you can, and uh, we just gradually improve things. And um, I mean, we were nowhere in the big scheme of things, but it didn't matter. We were part of the part of the picture all of a sudden, you know, and just just being there and competing and meeting like-minded people and you know, improving your own lap times was hugely rewarding. So that's that kind of triggered triggered the whole um, whole journey after that, I guess. So. Great. What happened to the Datsun? I campaigned it as an L-series for quite a while and, you know, it was quite good for what it was. You know, I could keep up with the twin cams and beat a few twin cams every now and then. But um, my last meeting in the Datsun was the Oran Park Nationals in 2008, if memory serves. What a great race meeting and car went really well. We had a great meeting. It got a little bit damaged and whatever, but um, at the end of that meeting, I sort of, I didn't retire the car. I pushed it to the side and vowed to sort of um, I was going to rebuild the whole car and a major overhaul. Yeah, I went down the road of a complete uh, refurbishment that involved a um, yeah. The plan was a <laughs> I call it a big block SR20 VE, so you know um, 2.4 liter. You know, back to that 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 uh, hero car of the Phil Morris. So I was embarking down that path. To be honest, that's where I was going to go with the car. But in amongst all of that, um, Aaron transitioned out of the the Escort and we built the S13. And um, yeah, I've been involved in that since the beginning. And um, to be honest, I changed tact once Aaron got the S13 up and running. And uh, <laughs> once it was just bonus beat. Yeah, yeah. To be honest, Mick, it kind of was nearly as simple as that. It was just basically the the Datsun, irrespective of how good a job I did with you know, the big block and <laughs> and uh, four-cylinder and, you know, all the stuff I was going to do um, just was never going to be as good as what I could see the potential in Aaron's car, even though Aaron's was in its infancy, 
at that stage and quite basic, but um, it was enough for me just to see, Jesus, a lot of grip here. And I, I changed tact. And um, it was around the time when we were seeing, I think Ash had his S14 going at the time in Perth. It's probably yeah. the first S14. And um, he obviously involved in the national board and all that sort of stuff heavily at that stage. And um, I knew the S15 was coming and that was around 2010. And um, yeah, I made the call. And um, at the time I thought the S15 was better on paper. Um, so I changed tact completely and, and bought an S15 and, and started that, that journey. So wow. better than the 13 or just better than the 1600, you thought? Better than the 13. As well, because, right. Yeah, I didn't want to just be the same as Aaron. I wanted to beat him. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you started building an S15 in the early 2010s or around 2010, 2011. Yeah, I bought the car in 2010. Yeah, yeah, I can remember. I bought it from um, from Perth. Actually, some IP guys over there helped me. Steve Thomas in Perth directed me towards the car and was really nice and in helping out with that. So I I, I bought a race rally rego only S15 from Perth and shipped it to Brisbane. And then um, that was like just after the rules changed and and the S15 was was allowed into the category. I and then the next week, I had the roll cage material. And the week after, I had the, the some of the suspension components. I was on a bit of a mission there. But, um, uh, yeah, that this car has been um, in in progress or in the build since, um, yeah, 2010, which is quite sad in the scheme of things. But, yeah. Takes a long time to build a race car, certainly if you're doing it right. Tell us about the build. So, I guess, what? process did you go through in terms of engineering the design and, and the plan around how you built it because I mean I'm always interested obviously Mick and I have done a lot of thinking and talking about how you know we have built or we would build certain cars uh, what process did you go through when you decided I'm going to build a race car and this is seemingly the first race car you've built from scratch then how what was your thought process how did you go through the plan and the build well the benefit was that obviously I had the experience of um, Aaron's car heavily involved in that. Um, so yeah, had all of that experience and really just looked at the S15 and said, oh, it can only be better. So um, a lot of it stemmed from the knowledge, I guess, gleaned from from that build and the development in that car. Um, and also other guys in Queensland as well, obviously Troy started out with an S13 and then got into the 14. So yeah, involved in all of that, that understand what was going on there. Minarelli. Yeah, Marinelli. Troy Marinelli. Yeah, Marinelli. Yeah. Sorry, yes. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. So, so essentially, architecture-wise, it's meant to be that, but a better version of that. So um, that's how it started. But um, I'll quote Aaron here. Many times, he said to me, "You have engineered this car to a standstill." <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, Sp that, yeah. <laughs> Spoken like the brother and a competitor of a true engineer. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're both engineers, and uh, you know this car, like you said, it was it was the first one from scratch with a proper you know rotisserie build and all those sorts of things. So from my perspective, it was going to be the best I could do. So there were no compromises, um, and you know it was um, to the best of my efforts in every every single element, and um, you know that's that's right down to the very very small details like 
you know, which brackets I'm going to drill out the spot welds in. And, you know, just having that mindset from the outset regarding this is going to be the best that I can do. Um, so that's, yeah, that, that's, that's, that was the plan. And certainly um, uh, from a time perspective, uh, yeah, that's how it turned out as well, is that, you know, good takes long. And, uh, yeah, particularly when you're changing your mind and re-engineering things uh, along the way, I guess. So, yeah, we, we, I, was, I was sort of um, using Aaron as a mule for some of that stuff as well. And we would, you know, have ideas and, and trial parts in his car as well, like um, you know, gearboxes and stuff like that, you know. So I was buying parts for my car and trialling them in Aaron's at the, at the same time and learning as I was building. But, um, yeah, it's a very long process. and um, But that, that was the intent, you know, to, to start off with that that blank blank canvas and, and, and do the best that I was capable of. So. I guess if I could say one thing, if you've got a car to test on, um, Aaron's is probably not a bad ish as he to be testing on. It's obviously pretty well sorted. Uh, it's a quick car. Look, it is now. Um, but back then we were sort of one of the – I think we were the first S13 Turbo, one of them. Dave Crichton – in Sydney actually sort of pioneered the whole S13 and um, him and I became quite close and, and during the whole process. And um, yeah, Dave, Dave pioneered the S13, but we weren't far behind with the turbo. And, you know, to be honest, it, you know, it was quite basic when, when we first started, but um, you know, you, you, you broke things and, and developed things and figured out what was good and what was bad and like anything else. And, and then the beauty of the category is that evolution uh, of the car. And it got to a point where it started becoming, you know, competitive and um, well, yeah, I can, yeah. I, I can say that I learned a lot about uh, restricted turbo development just by watching uh, Aaron's boost gauge down the straight at Phillip Island. Okay, yeah, right. <laughs> and I think we've yeah. spoken about that a lot, Chris. <laughs> yeah, we have. Yeah, and it's yeah. certainly. I mean, look, it's it's um, it's obvious. So there's a little hint there for anyone trying to develop a turbo sure, car. Sure. Watch some of Aaron Lawrence's <laughs> in car. <laughs> And watch that boost gauge down the straight, and then try to work out why it's doing the way it is. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, my yeah. boost logs might show something a similar path. Not, not that it's helped me get around corners at the moment, because that's another part of going fast, unfortunately. So, Drew, car is now running and on track. So, tell us about, I guess, your first on-track excursion with it, and how the testing's gone in the meantime. How's it going? Yeah. Again, I'll, I'll take you back a little bit. So. Cars been ten years in the build. Effectively, it really started coming to together last year, and um, I had the opportunity um, in July last year to leave work, which I did. And um, as it turns out, the, the the idea behind that was um, to take the opportunity um, to finish the car. So in July last year, I sort of stopped work and 100% um, dedicated to the car. So, yeah, with, with a goal in mind of um, we're going to Tasmania, rain, hail, shine, we're, we're going, we're committed, it's happening, and you just need to do that sometimes. Is um, Despite the fact that I've done that before in targeted events, I mean, um, the car was initially going to go to Phillip Island in 2016, but, you know, this is fair income this time and, you know, had the, had the time to, to make it happen. So, um, yeah, it was it was manic. Um, for six months to finish the car, and I guess we were targeting that event. And you know, it's quite, quite foolish in some regards. And I was quite pig-headed in that approach. But I was going to go with a brand new car to Tasmania, um, like I said, um, no matter what, because uh, I'd committed to doing it. 
and um, it was more for me at the time it was more about the journey and making sure we just did that so I committed to that uh, busted our ass to to get finished um, it was too late in, in hindsight and um, first time I got the car on the track was Bathurst the morning of Bathurst so what's that October uh, last year um, so first time it turned a wheel yeah it was pretty it was pretty horrible so that, that's to be expected, to be honest. Um, so uh, that wasn't really a surprise, but um, it did most things okay. And um, I decided at that point that I wanted to uh, re-engineer the front end, so I did. So uh, within the period of the next few days, I changed the front end and the whole wheel-tire combination in the front and um, changed the front end and went testing again the next week, um, which is a little bit better, but... Again, I'm quite rusty and haven't driven anything for years, so who knows? There's really no, no basis for comparison. But we're starting to, you know, to get some direction. And um, it ended up being about, geez, I think it was a couple of weeks out from the date that we were going to leave to go to Tasmania. And I committed to Tasmania and Island Magic as well, mind you. We were going to do both. And uh, we just got the car off the dyno again. Um, and this time it kind of had everything. And went testing again at uh, Morgan Park, and um, yeah, actually had a, had, a, had an issue with the engine, and um, yeah, we, we we blew up an engine. To be honest, um, you know, two weeks out from needing to go to to Tasmania, which which in the scheme of things um, was quite devastating, given the um, the effort that had gone in in the, the in that six months. Um, um, yeah, and there's a lot of other people involved with this as well, but. It was quite disheartening, I guess you could imagine. Oh, I was devastated, to be honest, um, for a couple of reasons. A, I wanted to go, and B, um, it was about the whole journey was about, you know, culminating this this ten year project and taking my car to this event, irrespective of whether it was good or whatever else. It was just I wanted to go, so I was pretty devastated, and I um, I rang Aaron when I was at the track and said, "Look, this has just happened. We're out. It ain't happening." And uh, he just said, "Oh, well, just just take my car." I was like, "Oh, it's not it's not about that. Um, that that wasn't the the mission. You know, it was about me finishing my car." But we thought about it overnight, and um, his car was actually in pieces at the time. And I said, "Look, I'm not going to have any time to even drive the thing." And he said, "Oh, don't worry about it. Just test it in Tasmania." So. Uh, <laughs> So we spent the next couple of weeks putting his car together and putting some of my bits in his car and making sure I, I fitted into his car and put my seat in. And uh, I had driven the car once before, a few years before, but um, yeah, so it was literally a thrash to put his car together. And um, we just we just set out on the journey. Um, so that's, that's kind of the, the lead up to the Nationals uh, last year in Tasmania. Which you actually drove pretty well at. I think I remember um, you were well in the top ten, weren't you? Look, we 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 got sixth overall, which you know, I suppose. Uh, but look, look, at the end of the day, I was elated with that. I didn't have any expectation going down there. Just wanted to attend. And I mean, there's a lot to yeah. You know, the car was very capable. Yeah, you know, Aaron's finished quite high in a number of nationals, so we knew the car was capable. Um, but we knew that I was very rusty. Um, so there was going to be that that compromise of sort of me getting up to speed again and not having even raced or driven anything in a number of years. 
um, and jumping into that car um, with immense potential and just trying to marry the two. And I guess, you know, that was quite evident in my first start, to be honest. I was shitting myself on the grid. <laughs> um, to be to be quite honest, it was I was quite nervous. I mean, there's, there's a bit of a lead up to that as well. But the car, we'd taken the opportunity to do the early test down there and I got familiar with the circuit and the car and all that sort of stuff. But I um, during the first qualifying session, I, I crashed the car. And uh, that was a little off-putting, as you can imagine. But um, we, were, we were going quite well at the time. And oh, I'll tell you the details, but uh, Aaron was on the radio to me going, that's great. You've just done a, a great lap time. Yeah, bring it in. And I said, no, 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 I'm on, I'm on a fly. I'm on a fly. Let me go. Let me go. And that that particular corner that I went through after that was was where I lost the car. And um, I was on a, a much better lap and then just lost the car in a, in a spot that the locals told us. Uh, not to lose the car and um, uh, yes the famous yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah well, there's another story about that as well in the first race which i'll get to but um lost the car ended up in the fence and i was i was um devastated i, I remember i just said hey, look i'm sorry this is actually pretty hard this has gone in pretty hard i don't know how this is going to go and i was frantic and waving the marshals over and i just said are the wheels still on it tell me if the wheels are still on it because i can fix it if that's the case and and they said, yeah, yeah, it looks fine. I'm like, oh, okay. And as it turned out, the thing was pretty straight, despite me wiping out the left-hand side, right-hand side of the car, rather, and got it back and checked it. And ironically, like, things weren't too bad, despite the fact that it took out a lot of stuff on the car. And um, so, yeah, a little bit cautious in Q2 after that, understandably, and, and shitting myself for the start of the first race. Uh, it was amazing how quickly it all came back, I guess you could say, and that, that love and that that excitement of of wheel to wheel racing and, and being close around other cars and yeah look we we gradually improved over the weekend and you know despite my best attempts to to push us backwards with uh, penalties and that sort of stuff ended up moving forwards and you know Brad moved our way to a couple of spots in the final there but um, it was just it just worked out to be a you know nearly sort of fairy tale fairy tale sort of ending to that to that whole saga. The car was certainly capable of a lot more. Um, I've no doubt whatsoever if Aaron was in it. Uh, it was a contender. But uh, look, for me personally and being out of the seat for so long, it was extremely satisfying just to be back in the community in that really you know, intimate environment of actually being involved rather than you know, being on the periphery with you know, being in committees and that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, amazing, amazing story. We had no... No sort of uh, visions of being um, that competitive. But, yeah, it was great, Re- really great. And then on to Island Magic the following week uh, where you showed a bit more speed. Yeah, look, again, quite lucky there. I guess we ended up ended up being third in Island Magic, which was amazing. Uh, again, we probably bragged our way into a little bit of that. But, um, look, that was just another great, great, great weekend. Again, similar sort of thing. The car has some really good pedigree there. I think Aaron still has the fastest turbo speed lap time at Phillip Island. I think he did a 41.9 or something back at the Nationals there in 16. But um, So, again, a lot to live up to in terms of the car and the time. And to be honest, we didn't get close. Didn't get close. And that place takes a lot of um, building up to. I'd never been there before on, on the actual the actual circuit driving. So a little bit of familiarisation there and just getting used to the actual... Um, what the car needed there, but um, yeah, again, just 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 completely um, stoked to be to be there 
had no real sort of uh, I guess we'd come off a pretty decent weekend in, in Tasmania so really just wanted to, to enjoy the weekend so to get to get that result and be even towards the front of the field was um, extremely satisfying um, so yeah just just thoroughly enjoyed the whole experience and clearly I need to I need to probably thank Aaron at this stage for um, uh, for giving me the opportunity and it probably goes a lot to sort of show uh, where we are in terms of our relationship and I'm in terms of how close we are and that sort of stuff with how we go about about the whole IP thing. So. For sure. I uh, wouldn't mind a brother with a Nationals level car to offer me a drive once in a while. Unfortunately, I don't have that. So, mate, you've given Aaron back his car now. I'm sure he's pleased with that. And um, your S15 now, wrecked. Well, yeah. has he fixed it? Or, sorry, have you fixed it for him? Uh, we're actually, we're actually um, updating the car at the moment. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we took the opportunity to, um, to to update the car a little bit. So Aaron's in the midst of that, and uh, yeah, I can be pretty open with that. We've taken the liberty to um, to adopt the the floor mount uh, pedal box. Um, so yeah, some some little improvements there and a few little tweaks. And along with that, we will we will uh, I will fix all of the damage that I did, and um, the car will come out uh, nice and shiny and in it, and hopefully fa- hopefully faster. Happy days. As an engineer and mechanical engineer, what is your biggest positive or plus or gain you think you're going to get out of floor pedals? To be honest, um, no, no, that hasn't really factored into this decision. It's actually quite. Oh, I'll, I'll be open. It's quite. It's quite silly actually how we've we've got to this point. But um, um, if you looked at some of our starts we've had in Aaron's car, um, both of us are, are atrocious and. Turbo cars are particularly hard to get off the line, but I make no excuses there. Troy Marinelli does a great job of it, but we clearly don't have the talent. But um, So we've replaced nearly everything in Aaron's car from a clutch perspective. Um, well, we have, um, interchanging my parts and other parts and new parts. We've replaced everything. And um, the only thing we hadn't replaced was the, uh, the master cylinder. Oh, no, we replaced the master cylinder. The only thing we hadn't replaced was a clutch pedal. So it literally is that type of decision where um, if we're going to do this, we're going to replace uh, the entire thing and do this properly. Um, so to be, so to now be honest, you've Nick, got some um, motion ratio sort of flexibility. Is that what you're talking about? No, it's not even it's not even technical. It, it's basically uh, we heard there were problems with uh, Sylvia's and some of the spot welds coming apart on the original pedal box and people having problems with uh, flexing and clutch engagement and that sort of thing, and, um, yeah, literally going, well, let's just fix it. Um, that is tempered all, all the same with trying to improve um, some of the braking feel in the car as well. So we looked at the option of uh, uh, proper, uh, when I say proper, I mean um, higher-end underslung pedal box versus floor mount, and it really... From a from a braking performance point of view, it's negligible. There's no, from my perspective, there's no, there's no benefit. It literally comes down to ease of installation, and we discussed it and went, I think, uh, I think this is the way to go. There's there's, there's uh, other people doing it. I mean, um, yeah. yeah if, take, you start, take, if you if you're starting with an OE clutch assembly, then I think you're right. I mean, you know, going to a full custom high mount pedal assembly for clutch and brake it's it's obviously 
you know, take some engineering and, and, and a bit of work to get that right. Certainly easier to just go with the floor mount. Yeah, look, I've just been through all of that heartache with my own car because obviously my car spanned all of the changes and regulations. Um, so, yeah, we went to great lengths to um, to get my um, underslung pedal box in. Um, so I've been through all of that and sort of said, look, I, my recommendation is let's let's not do that. It's this, you know, the rules now afford a, a simpler option. Let's let's go down that path, and we, we spoke about it, and that's the that's the direction we went, and we sort of observed what others were doing as well, and you know Ray Ray changed from underslung to floor mount, and you know I don't know what he gained out of it, but uh, you know uh, we looked at it and went, well look yeah, if you're going to do it, that's that's the the pragmatic approach, uh, a little bit easier, but you know on hindsight, it's not quite as easy as just bolting the thing to the floor. You need to be oh. um, very very cognizant of the ergonomic uh, implications. Yeah, I was about to say that four pedals work good if you're short. So I couldn't fit four pedals in the RX-7 and me still. I'd have to cut the cage out to get the seat in the right spot. Yeah, you spot on Mick. And, you know, Aaron's, Aaron's short, I'm not. And, um, yeah, like to give you an example, uh, uh, he would sit probably naturally about 250 millimetres forward of the cage in his understung arrangement and at the moment he's on the cage yep um and that's that's just what was needed so um just just for the ergonomics to work yep. appropriately and then you've got steering wheel spacing and then because you can't l- raise or lower your steering pivot point like where it joins yeah quite really yep. like depending on their steering system of course but you know if you're just extending it that makes the steering wheel higher so is that any better? So floor yep, mounts, yep. as a, they're just better full stop, is not a correct statement in my view. There's so many different ergonomic and also practicality decisions you have to make. But when it comes to needing to service and work on a floor mount, they're much better than underslung. Yeah, I think, I think that's true. I mean, I, I think, you know, having built the 323, I've got, I guess, the benefit of, a pretty long floor pan. I probably could have fit in a floor mount box, although I think the issue would have been then how do I get it in and still comply with the rule of pedal placement. Might have been might have been a bit of a challenge for me just given the shape of the floor. But in but at the time, I remember there was talk about the, if you recall, there were two efforts to make. Well, it was probably more than two, but in my time building my car, there were two efforts to make the floor mount pedal box legal. The first one sort of went on for some months and then failed. And after it failed, I thought, nah, stuff it. I'm just going to, uh, well, obviously going to have to go with the high mount box. And so I went to the trouble of having the high mount box. You know, I bought the high mount box and had the cage fabbed around it, basically. That, that and the seat mount, that's what started my build. And and then, what, a year later, it, it was revisited and, and adopted. Um, but again, in hindsight, it probably wouldn't have made much difference to me. But yeah, I mean, that's... Um, it's. I think I agree with what you're saying, Mick. It doesn't. It can't work for everybody, and not all cars. I think, you know, a floor mount is really possible to fit within the rules. But that's good, I guess. So Aaron's car's being improved. What about the S15, Drew? So where's that up to now? And 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 are we going to see it on track soon? Yeah. Look, um, as soon as we got back from the nationals, we jumped back into it. Uh, found the problem with the engine, fixed the engine, and also started down a process of trying to address some of the the fundamental issues that I didn't like about the car when I first drove it. So, yeah, for a couple of months there, we focused on that. And, yeah, COVID 
kind of came about just as I was start ready and desperate to start uh, testing again. Um, so yeah, I've been sort of put on hold until quite recently. Uh, we've managed to get the car out again. We sort of um, we had a bit of an IP test day recently at, at Queensland Raceway and got a couple of guys out there and and uh, purchased a, a block, a two-hour block, as they're they're being uh, sort of marketed at the moment. Um, yeah, so we've got an opportunity to run the car again with some of the improvements I'd try to make to correct some of those fundamental issues that I that I felt with the car. And um, you know, to be honest, it's 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 you know, I think it, it didn't really work. We've still got a fair bit of homework to do. I uh, I'll be quite honest in saying we sort of um, loaded up the car and I said, Aaron, it's a piece of junk. You know, despite the effort and all the all the improvements and you know the quality of the parts and blah 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 blah, this goes on in terms of the, the development. But yeah, there's still some very fundamental things I don't like about it, uh, and I'm trying to fix. So um, yeah, we've got a bit of a path there at the moment that we're going to go down to to fix some of those. So yeah, we're sort of in the middle of implementing some of that, and yeah, get back to get back to testing. Um, yeah, to be quite frank, I uh, I probably decided there and then that. I don't think it would be smart to race the car right at the moment. It's it's probably well look it it was too unpredictable for my for my liking uh, for me. And I don't I don't I don't want to. It's not about the need to go racing. It's about the need to get the car right right at the moment. So I don't need to go racing to do that. And yeah, certainly put other people at risk. So uh, so right at the moment, I'm focused on getting the car right. There certainly is opportunity and time. Um, to implement some of those changes and do some testing before our next round. And, um, yeah, look, if, if things go well and, and some of my improvements work, um, then, yes, I, w- I will definitely race it. But, um, yeah, right now we're still in that um, developmental phase, which, you know, you, know, you look at it as being probably, yeah, look, it's disappointing. Um, at the but end at of least the day, you know, you've got a great yardstick by having the well, that's, car there. That, that's right, Mick, and... Um, yeah, yeah, you've got and the recent experience of having driven it. So yeah, I sort of know what I like and what I don't like. And despite the fact that uh, my car on paper is a lot better, there's some stuff that it does that just is is uh, I don't like. So uh, yeah, need don't, to need to improve. don't feel bad, Drew. I'm in exactly the same situation. I'm not sure how far off the pace and just how how difficult your car is to drive, but um. I know how you feel. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, all, well, it doesn't matter how much, you know, power to weight and bits you got in the car. If you can't pick up the throttle at the right time or get off the brake pedal and turn the car in confidently, you're not going to be fast. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And and it's part of, you know, it's part of the fun, I guess, of building a car. And this is what nobody tells you, you know, when you're at that exciting phase of, oh, ready to build a race car and it's going to be great. And I've got a great plan for it and I've got some money and I'm going to start building this car and I'm going to have it done in six months and it's going to be quick out of the box. Because <laughs> you always think that, right? Well, you course, have to, otherwise you would never start. Yeah, but, but then, but now, you know, I think the reality of it is if you're home building a race car, you know, this is part of the development pathway and it's something that nobody tells you when you, well, some people might try to tell you, uh, but you're not listening because you're, you know, you want to build a race car and it's going to be great. But, but yeah, this is the reality of it. And, and this is where, you know, it, it gets real. I think this is, this is in a sense, perhaps even harder than building the, the car in order to, you know, try and keep your, your momentum and your, what, how do you call it? You know, your motivation levels, keep them where they need to be 
uh, because you've got the shiny new car that you spent all this money and time on, and now you take it to the track and it's, well, in my case, 10 seconds a lap off the pace. And it's, and, and, and you know, some of that's driving, for my, at least in my case, but a lot of it is a car that just is not behaving and, and, um, and is frankly frightening to drive. Uh, and, um, and as you say, I mean, Drew, you've sort of alluded to it, perhaps a little unsafe in a crowd if you're, you know, if you're not sure exactly what it's going to do and, and it's, and it's, and it's difficult to drive. And then you have breakages and like you had with the engine starting out, I've had the same experience. And so it's more money, more time, more effort. You're pulling apart what you've just built and fixing it and it's slow. And I think that's the challenge that we all face when we're building a race car from scratch. Um, but you'll get there. And if you, if you stick at it and, 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 and you know what it can feel like uh, in a quick race car, I guess that's the, that's the key is to just maintain that momentum, keep your focus on having a car that's, that's, um, that's going to give you some pleasure and some fun when you, when you get it right. And I guess you, you just, you know, you just touched again on what is the beauty of the category. I mean, you can fire the cookbook and just go and you know, replicate something someone else has done on, in your case, you've chosen something with less field, and in my case, I've chosen to engineer something to a standstill with with modifications and you know the extreme end of things. So yeah, we chose that path, which is the beauty of the category, right? We we yep. in my case, I fully expected this. It's not a surprise. Um, I, I intentionally engineered this level of adjustment into the car. So that and that's 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 the beauty. It, it's that balance again between the tinkerer. And the guy that just wants to get out and have a drive, and you know we cater for everyone. So. Jeez, doesn't that echo a previous podcast we did, Chris? Where I said you can have 34 adjustment points in good quality suspension, and 33 of them are wrong. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 it, but but again, you know if if that's if that's the way you build your car and that's what you want in the car, then, you know, you need to live with the good and the bad of it. Uh, oh, and, I wouldn't change it. Like, yeah, that's why I'm in yeah. IP, because it's, you can't be so ridiculously wrong like you could in a full chassis car or sports sedan. You have to have a lot of engineering knowledge and help with that, you know, to be at the front anyway. But yep. IP is, and you can, well, I've always said, and I'll maintain it, you can find a maintainable and achievable goal in the field somewhere where you think you and your time and budget and car can be. Yep. And I don't think there's any other category that gives you that flexibility to be in a car you love and you like and you, you know, and to find your place in the field and race there. And Mick, you're spot on because it's not, it's not about, um, you know, the good thing about the category, particularly with combined grids is, you will find a spot somewhere in that grid where you fit in and you're close to someone yep. and you will have a great time at that point. It doesn't matter if it's 20th or 10th. It doesn't matter. As long as you're around people and not on your own, you'll get all the exhilaration and experience um, the beauty of, of, of what we do. Um, it's only when you put expectation on yourself in terms of performance and where you think you'd like to be or need to be or want to move to that you start moving away from that and possibly, um, yeah, sometimes you need to go backwards to go forwards. Um, yep. Have the realisation. Yep. The reality. Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. But I like that point, Drew. Like a lot of races and people who are friends with races don't understand even the races uh, explanation of it. But you could be 15th, but in your little group, there's only two or three cars in front of you. 
And some people that have raced out there for a lot of years will have had this Bradbury-esque moment where there's a big drop out in front of you and because you can't see up the road because you, you're concentrating on yours, you could finish, you know, eighth or something, you know, and get in the top 10, even though you thought you're 15th because that's where you've been all weekend and you're so concentrated on your race, yet you will, when you find out you're eighth, you're eighth you, you're like you're proud of it, but really you were happy being in 15th racing for 12th that whole weekend, you know, and, and having just as much fun as anyone in the field, honestly, probably more fun. The middle of the field is obvious, is definitely more fun in my experience. But anyway, and so the end result of what actual number you came at the end of the weekend doesn't matter. It's the journey you got there and the people you're racing and your own little group and battle you're in. And that's where IP, I feel, has so much... I don't know, passion about it. Like people, you're so enwrapped up in where you are in your own little battle that you almost forget where the front of the field is. And it doesn't matter where the front of the field is. I mean, if you've got people to race with and you're having a good time with them and it's, you know, the sort of thing where you can have a beer at the end of the day going, talking about this attempted pass or, you know, that off track excursion and, and you've got someone you know who you can share that experience with rather than a lot of the other classes where you know after two or three laps it's just a procession separated by seconds per car and and, and you know that's um that's not what this category is about and I, I agree it's 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 a great part of especially with the big fields that we see at, 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 at bigger events or in the states where it's more popular that's 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 just so much fun and that uh, first round we had in in june mick was like that you know i mean i turn up with a brand new car and there's someone to drive with you know yes it's a it's a it's um you know matt larmore in his in his mirage cyborg which has about you know 50 horsepower one of the smallest engines least powerful cars (laughs) and but it's probably got more than 50 horsepower matt um i'm sure it's a great car but um you know it makes you feel better thinking i only had 50 well yeah do you make you think it makes me feel better? Yeah, yeah, I'm being <laughs> super sarcastic. Come on, man. <laughs> you know me. But I had someone to race with, even though yeah. you know my car was poo, and and so that's and and that's fun, you know. I mean, I think that's again that's part of part of what makes the category uh, so attractive um, to to anyone, regardless of, of of your budget or your ability. So yeah, it's it's a it's a great um, testimonial for the category. All right, so that's a bit about. Aaron's car, your car, and the experience you've had in building it, Drew. Let's talk a little bit more about, I guess, the more general experience of IP racing in Queensland. And look, how is it going? How do you see the quality of the cars, drivers, and racing, size of the fields and tracks? I mean, Mick and I have got our own views on IP Queensland, but we'd love to hear uh, hear what's happening in Queensland from an insider's perspective. Okay. Um, so I suppose... Yeah, generally things are fairly consistent is, is probably the way I'd describe it. Um, I wouldn't say we've had even steady growth. We've just been quite consistent in terms of uh, our membership um, and certainly the uh, participation in race meetings is fairly consistent. Not that we've got a really good gauge for this year, but it's like every club struggles with, you know, if you end up with sort of 100 cars, but you know, if only you could get them all together at the same time. It just doesn't happen for, for, for the myriad of reasons. But, um, look, we, we would probably average mid-20s at, at, a, at a state-level race meeting, but we're capable of having, you know, 60. <laughs> so yeah. That's, yeah. that's just the way it goes for various reasons. So, look, from a, from a um, club health perspective, 
I think you've got to look at that balance between new members versus retiring members and that sort of stuff. And you know, again, as it turns out, you would like to see growth, but what you typically see is guys that you get you get that influx of new people, but it's it's coupled with guys sitting out for a for a year or two as well. So yeah, mm. you end up sort of maintaining that that sort of steady nucleus of uh, of numbers. Well, certainly that's what we've found. I know. Obviously, I'm across you know other states and numbers and that sort of stuff, and you know we've seen some states really going well recently, which is, which is great to see. But certainly, yeah, we're we're just steady and and fairly consistent up here in terms of um, uh, the car count and the the size of the of the IP community in Queensland. In, in terms of the quality, I'll probably be a little bit probably arrogant or bit controversial, uh, mate. Con- controversial. Um, I would quite comfortably put Queensland's top 10, 15 against anyone without hesitation. I just think the depth um, and variety of, of, of the front-level cars in Queensland is just ridiculous, um, and it's only getting better. Not, not that I think that's what, as clubs, we should be aspiring to, um, so I've got to be careful which hat I'm wearing when I say that, but... Yeah, you know, as president, it's about numbers. It's not about whether at the front of the field. I care just as much about getting um, new new backmarkers and new people into the category than I do about, you know, all the peacocks at the front. But um, from a quality point of view, in terms of um, let's talk about I guess presentation and those sort of things. Yeah, steadily increasing, I guess. But but if you want to talk about you know the front and the fast cars and yeah, it's getting very 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 fast. Up here, and we've got um, a pretty diverse range of cars in that category as well. We've got a bit of everything, and um, I can probably talk about that a bit more a bit later if you like as well with some of the, the new stuff we've got coming in there with new people and new cars. But um, yeah, from a quality perspective, it's it's looking pretty good. Fields are pretty consistent, and uh, you know, obviously, we've got the the three tracks in Queensland that are that are available to us. Um, I know I'm probably getting on to uh, subsequent sort of topics. But, yeah, we predominantly race uh, or we only race state championship events and Motorsport Australia events at Morgan Park. Um, so we're probably – well, it's actually not so unique a situation uh, these days. I know Victoria and New South Wales have got similar sort of uh, issues there in that regards. But, um, yeah, we've got three tracks and one of them hosts Motorsport Australia events. Interesting. I, yeah, I've, I've got some. So I find that uh, quite interesting because the standout for me for Queensland hasn't been the quality of the front runners, even though you've got, you know, I would say half dozen, six of, you know, the top quality national spec front running. It's great watching, you know, Clemo and, and Zach and Marinelli and Waldo and everyone all and who apologies to anyone else I missed that's just off the top of my head you know that run at the front and then you you know obviously your brother as well that Aaron who's you know always at the front of nationals that I've seen him in lightning fast but I can't believe how many and we've only just seen it in New South Wales in the last couple of years but you but I feel Queensland over the last five or six years gets what I would call medium to slow cars and and consistently and then they develop their way up similar to what Victoria gets. And I've always been interested in what's what's encouraging Queenslanders and Victorians. I don't know why 
it seems to be those two, but they you seem to get more of a diversity in your mid to back of the pack and different cars, and then they stay there and try and develop their cars up from what I've seen. And I'd like to know your thoughts on that, Drew. I suppose um, it's probably more of a philosophical one, Mick. I guess you'd like to think that you're creating an environment that wants people, to, that, that, that encourages people to hang around, you know? So, um, you know, as, as my job as president, that's my job. You know, you, you want to retain, retain your competitors, uh, make them happy and get new ones. So I think then their natural, uh, their natural competitiveness takes over at times and does the rest of the job, you know, um, particularly when you've got possibly um, other examples to aspire to in terms of, in terms of speed and certainly, um, you know, genu- genuine support from, from the wider membership in terms of um, being supportive and helping with um, advice on what to do and a great technical network in, in varying forms of cars up here as well. So yeah, I think we sort of create the environment and the guys, you know, become competitive of their own volition by virtue of their own competitiveness and, and drive to possibly want to, you know, jump up the grid a bit more. And we've seen a fair bit of that. Yeah, I've, cool. yeah, I've seen it in like, limited either video footage or in that's off results, but it does seem to that you do have a whatever you're doing up there is working. It's a good formula, and yeah, I think it's great. And you know, up until the like I said, the last two or three years, New South Wales seemed to lack that. But we've had a pretty good insurgent of um, of that newcomer coming back, doing a bit of development, you know, and and. And it's been great to see in New South Wales, like with the unders and the overs. There's probably three or four cars in each that I'll consider. Definitely know that they don't have a fast car, yet they stick coming back. And I, I, I don't know what starts or ends those sorts of trends, but it seems that Queensland has been much more consistent, like Victoria has, with retaining those people. So maybe it is just the environment you're providing, and if that is, then uh, well done, mate. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> that, that means that you and the committee members and all the other competitors in Queensland are providing such a welcoming and fun environment to racing. So, Drew, you mentioned that Morgan Park is the only motorsport Australia track in Queensland. Now, forgive me, I wasn't aware of that. I, I knew there were issues with Lakeside. I, I mean, everybody's heard about the issues with Lakeside, I guess, in many you know different respects in terms of noise issues and, and I guess land use conflicts and that sort of thing. But I wasn't aware that Ipswich wasn't available. I was aware of the fact that Ipswich is not a great track, but putting that aside, uh, can you explain, I guess, for those of us who don't know, what, what's going on with Lakeside and Ipswich uh, and why they're not Motorsport Australia tracks and why they're not available for, uh, I guess, IP competition from a state championship perspective? Yeah, I'll probably go back a few years and just to set the scene. So for many years, we just had Lakeside, obviously, back in the days when, um, you know, state-level motorsport was everything, tarmac racing. Um, that then, Queensland Raceway was then built, and we had the, the two facilities. Lakeside eventually fell by the wayside. Um, and then Morgan Park, which was, uh, you know, Morgan Park's about, you know, two and a half hours out of Brisbane in a regional area. They had a very, they had a short circuit dirt track at one stage, and you know, eventually they got to the point that they had our fully fledged CAMS endorsed um, circuit race facility. So we transitioned uh, then from Queensland Raceway to Morgan Park, and we had the two. But at some stage there was a bit of a, you know, I guess a falling out or, or something happened, and you know, Queensland Raceways um, no longer hosted uh, CAMS at that stage, CAMS events. So they still retained a cams track license and typically would host the supercars 
and the Shannon Internationals back to back, and that was it. So um, as a as a club, we um, yeah, it's quite ironic. You sort of on the way to Morgan Park, you'd often drive you drive past Queensland Raceway. So we'd say, well, we're driving past a perfectly good facility to travel two and a half hours west to go and race out there. What's going on? And we we sort of addressed it at a at a committee level and took what was at the time, quite an ambitious move to, um, you know, basically stand on both sides of the fence. So whilst we, uh, the state championship races were only being conducted at Morgan Park, um, IP Queensland um, took the liberty of engaging Queensland Raceways to run our club meetings, club club championship at some of their events as well. And we were the only category, state level category to do it at the time. Um, maybe copped a little flack, but I think we we probably set a bit of a benchmark there. But um, it was very the ba- the basis for that was pretty clear. It was simply to provide variety. The guys have got the tracks there. People want variety. It's the spice of life. So um, that's why we did it. And you know, for quite a while, we were probably scorned a little bit because we were the we were the rogue cams category that would race with um, Queensland Raceways at the time. Um, under a different system, and you guys are familiar with WSA and that sort of stuff. So, yep. but we we embraced that, and and from our perspective, um, you know, we provided a bit more variety. A couple of years pass, and then you know, uh, Lakeside reopens, so we get um, another crack at it. So again, we embrace that, and uh, obviously, like you guys have alluded to, there's restrictions and that sort of stuff. But you know, we do what we need to do to run there, and um, yeah, we're, we're fortunate to have three facilities in Queensland. I mean, Lakeside is iconic, and um, yeah, Queensland Raceway has a bad rap, but yeah, look, if you're driving around Queensland Raceway by yourself, it's it's boring. I would suggest though that if you're racing there and close with other people, it's probably one of the more exciting tracks you can be at. There's um, from a racing perspective, there's heaps of overtaking opportunities, and um, it's a really racy track. It's not it's not necessarily all power, despite the long back straight, but um, yeah, we've had some great racing there over the years, and you guys probably even saw some of that at the Shannon's Nationals round um, yep. that we had there last year. I mean, we couldn't have hoped for a better advertisement for IP, really. I was really chuffed with the um, the performance that IP put on it that weekend, and it just demonstrated that on um, the right circuit with the right cars, and you can produce some really good racing. So um, that's where we stand. This year, in particular, we had um, a state championship that was... Um, Again, solely Morgan Park focused, and um, to be honest, we didn't we didn't actually plan on on attending uh, too many Queensland Raceway and um, Lakeside rounds, and that that just comes from supply and demand at times as well. Um, so we do what we can when we can, and you know the fact that two guys are working on different schedules and different timetables when you're trying to put a calendar together, it can be it can be tricky uh, yeah. to provide appropriate spacing. So. Yeah, we've managed to work our way around that in previous years. It just didn't work out this year, but um, yeah, yeah, that's sort of that's sort of the background as to why we've got three circuits and predominantly use one. Again, there's worse situations to be in. Poor old SA only had Benalla for quite a long time, and now is blessed with an amazing facility at at Tail and Bend, obviously. So they're experiencing that, um, you know, the diversity of having the two different facilities and the, the pros and cons of each. And it's only it's only a good thing, right? Couldn't tell you, not yet anyway. Although, we've, I mean, I guess New South Wales, you know, since losing Oran Park, I think, been 
uh, less great. Um, some people who never go to Wakefield Park, you know who you are. And and that's a shame too. Sydney Motorsport Park is, is a fun track. I enjoy driving it. I've always liked it. I know there's some people who, you know, don't love it. Uh, it's not the best track in Australia. No one would suggest that. But it's it's a fun track and, and most of us enjoy it. There the are best different... thing that happened, the only thing not good that I can think of that happened about losing Oran Park was the state government owning Sydney Motorsport Park after that. So but mm. they didn't lose the track. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it is now. It's a good facility, right? It is a good facility. Like, it's not Tail and Bend. Yeah. Tail and Bend was like visiting a European track. It's it's phenomenal. You know, the whole, all the, just driving up to it and seeing the track in the distance, it just gives you that aura of where it's somewhere special, you know. But Sydney Motorsport Park is, I think, a very top-class motorsport park for mm. what we need. And, and, you know, I think we're still pretty lucky to have that it's so close to Metro Sydney for most for sure. people who live in, yep. in the Sydney yep. area. I'd have to agree with that. But but certainly, and I know that there's been issues between WSA and CAMS in the past, but, you know, we do have that variety in New South Wales, at least of having Wakefield Park and Eastern Creek, although not everybody loves that variety. But the two tracks are very different and suit different cars, different strengths and different drivers. And that's, I think, good for the category. I think it's a Unless little bit of... Evo, then it's both. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a little bit of a shame, I think, that... that I mean, it's, Morgan Park's a fun track. I think, you know, it's it's great spectating track for the most part, and uh, it's a good, as I understand it, track to drive. I've never driven it, but everyone I've spoken to seems to enjoy it there. So, you know, but again, not having that um, that variety, I guess you've still got the different track layouts, but uh, although I'm not sure that, uh, will there be different layouts used for IP at all this, I guess, this season, bit of a abbreviated season such as it is, but uh, are you using the same track layout each time, Drew? At Morgan Park, yeah, predominantly we use the same. The same. There are options there, and they have been... Uh, trialled in the past, but predominantly we use the longer, the longer circuit there, which offers a bit of everything. So it's a really good layout. So cool. Now you did allude to the Shannon's round, Drew, and yeah. that's interesting. I guess an interesting segue into one of the questions I wanted to ask you, which was around these bigger rounds that we do see. And I think it's interesting to discuss with someone like yourself, who's had some experience from a, I guess a committee standpoint, but also from a driver's standpoint. We have a few of these sort of non-championship marquee events that, you know, happen in IP from time to time. Obviously, you've got Bathurst, which when it happens is, well, when it happens or when it has happened in the past has been a very popular event for a lot of people. You've got Clipsal occasionally. You've got... Yeah, occasionally. (laughs) (laughs) You've got... But you never know. Next year, it might be back, right? I know, I know. You've You've got Darwin. And you did have the Shannon's Nationals round last year at, at, at Ipswich, which was great to see uh, at least from a spectator standpoint interested in your thoughts though in terms of that i've heard some people obviously you know from a competitive standpoint choice is always good but i've heard a lot of people offer some criticism of these events on the basis that they can drag resources and competitors away from state championships interested in your thoughts on that to the extent you might be willing to share them no look 100 percent. i'm quite passionate about this so um i guess to give yeah, some background. Fundamentally, um, IP Queensland believes that we should only have um, larger events that don't compete with uh, with state with state events. You know, fundamental um, drive for the category should be to get entries at state level. So anything that we do, um, we will endeavour 
to make it part of um, state championship. And the Shenan thing came up, and um, again, we saw it as an opportunity to put IP on a, a larger scale, um, but also with the flexibility of being able to incorporate it in our particular circumstance into a state championship. So for us, it was the best of both worlds in doing that. You know, certainly um, things were pretty abuzz at the time with TCR and uh, those sorts of things. So we sort of saw that as a, you know, mid-tier style category that we we could probably align ourselves with. And um, yeah, certainly, you know, had had never had the opportunity to be at the Shannon's event before because typically there was only well, there's never any spots to be honest. But um, certainly we never been invited. But um, yeah, we lobbied for it and. You know, I spoke with the right people and made it happen. And uh, again, uh, with the caveat that, in our opinion, it, it needs to happen in conjunction uh, with state championship races. So you don't dilute that, you know, the, the fundamental element of a category, which is that racing, and, um, you know, provide a, a larger stage possibly for the guys to be on at times. So that, that was the thinking. You know, we're, we're quite aware that that may not be possible in other states as well. Um, and historically, you know, IP has had these these keynote events, being you know Darwin, which has been a place for a number of years, and you know Clipsal in and out, and certainly Bathurst. And you know Bathurst on its own, we can probably all attribute club membership growth as a result of Bathurst. I mean, mm-hmm. um, we we can put a hand up and say, yeah, we've had people join the club purely on the opportunity to race at Bathurst. So that's a good thing, but you've got to weigh it up in the context against um, you know dilute. Also, we've had people that. You know, forego a whole year of state level racing just to do the one, the one meeting at Bathurst, and yeah. You know, so it's a bit of a, it's a double-edged sword. But I think, you know, too much of the top-tier uh, one-off events will clearly deplete local rounds. So I think you could probably say, well, that's not a great thing, and you just need to get that balance right. Um, but also look at, you know, as a category, what are we trying to do? Do we, do we want to try and market ourselves a little bit higher and? Put ourselves on, on some of these on these larger stages because we all know that the punters love the category. Um, yep. We've all had great feedback from Clipsal. We've had videos go viral. Um, I, I, as a side, I, I contacted some guys in the states that run a um, a, a championship over there called um, Grid Life or something. They have a podcast. I was listening to it, and one day they mentioned improved production, and the, and I was like. What? And they said, yeah, we've developed this new this new class over here and it's modelled off improved production in Australia. And I was like, wow. And I got in touch with the guys and um, got speaking to them. And I said, what, where has this coming from? What, how did you know about us? And, oh, we saw Jordan Cox at Bathurst and we just started looking into the category. So sometimes we don't appreciate the reach that the category actually has. So, um, yeah, they've, they've developed a category over there that is um, broadly based on the principles of improved production. There you go. We've got a good formula. Yeah, Yeah. it is. It is pretty much the fantasy turning a road car into a race car category that brought people to the fences all through the 80s with the um, and 70s and 80s with the Group C and Group A touring cars. You know, like it's because it was cars that you couldn't afford or get or you couldn't even see that often on the street racing around. And... No, now I think improved production provides not too much new cars, but you know definitely older cars that people remember and love and like to see, and they're getting raced well and having 
fun as well. So because we have open pit policy and everything, so they could come through and talk to owners and drivers and really get a good look at the cars that you know they, they've seen going around the track. So it's I think you know improved. Oh, we've, we've said it heaps, Chris, but improved production is pretty much the only category that has any sort of allure in it in Australia to me anyway. Yeah, I think it's good for the punters. I mean, and, punters, and, yes. and uh, but also for us too, and for the reasons we've mentioned many times, I mean, you know, you get to choose a car that you want to build and just about within reason, almost anything, you know, can be turned into, can be turned into a car that can be relatively competitive if you've got the means or at least competitive in a, in a group where you can have some fun at, at a budget and speed level that sort of, yeah, you know, like, like people. Yes. Yeah, for sure, which is what we've talked about. Now, Drew, I guess you've talked a little bit, and you did mention the Shannons round, and one of the great performances at that round, uh, and in fact, you know, I guess you could say all year was was young Zach Hudson, who's obviously, you know, Mick and I are fanboys. We make no apology for it. We love Zach. Yeah. But yeah. Um, we're going to ask you about who's impressed you in IP around the country, not just in Queensland, but maybe obviously one or two uh, folks up there, I'm sure, who 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 impress you in terms of their driving, engineering, and and everything else, car setup. But who who around Australia has impressed you in IP, and and who do you think is worthy of mention in terms of, I guess, skill, ability, engineering, driving, etc. Yeah, look, I will I will probably approach it on a state by state basis. Um, I'll, I'll start with us, and I guess we're very blessed in that we've had a couple young guys come into the category in recent times and you guys have been exposed to Zach and he, he, he's done extremely well. We've got another young guy called Brock Payne that's come into the category as well. And he, he brought in a, a naturally aspirated S13 Sylvia and jumped into the under two litre car class. And um, straight away, I could just see the potential in this kid. He, he just put that car in places where he shouldn't be passing people and passing faster, more seasoned campaigners in his first race meeting. You just looked at the kid and went, Oh my God, he's, he's amazing. Um, so we're blessed with having two young guns and Brock's just got himself into a, um, an RX seven as well. And he, uh, I think he had one meeting at the end of last year and was immediately into the very, very, very pointy end of the field. And I think he did a 22 around Morgan park and literally the first time he'd been in the car. So, I mean, we're blessed with having two really young guys that, um, yeah, I just are quite exceptional in terms of their uh, their natural car control and ability. So yeah, those two certainly certainly in Queensland. I suppose we've got a couple um, newer cars, uh, well, sort of newer refurbished, re- re- revamped cars about to make their um, debut in Queensland as well, which we're excited about. And you guys have mentioned it a few times, but obviously... Yeah, we're interested in one of them, yep. <laughs> yeah, you've got the... You all know about Keezy. Um, yep. So so Keezy's gone to the dark side and, uh, yeah, has a has a V8 now, and um, that's going well, and um, he is absolutely chafing at the bit to get into that thing and start going, but we it's all know... It's kind of intimidating, is. actually, knowing that Justin's going to be in one of the best platforms in IP that's intimidating and exciting all at once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, um, I guess we're all fairly a little bit intimidated by the fact that he's going to be in that car fairly soon. But, um, look, he, he's he's taking it all in his stride and you know, sort of um, putting that car together at the moment. And, um, yeah, it's probably breaking news, but we've got a, um, 
another person that's converted to the dark side and there's a certain blue falcon that now resides in uh well it's now blue falcon that resides in in queensland as well and justin won't mind me saying but um justin wade has has gone back to his ford roots oh dear are you are you telling me that you're releasing something that no one else knows generally on our podcast that the fastest falcon in the country is now in the hands of one of the most seasoned campaigners that always has beautiful well-presented cars yeah i need to take a couple steps back there and say it's it's the eb falcon um yeah yeah so um so he's got those yeah 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 so um uh, i don't know what's happening with the newer one i don't know but um yeah, Justin's Justin's converted, and um, you know that car was uh, obviously a national championship-winning car as well, and uh, did so on 48s. So I hate to think how good it will be on 50s. Um, yes, um, it will be so, quicker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, look, it, it's light. Yeah, look, it, it's going to be a great car. So yeah, we've got a couple of new new cars that are are going to certainly add to the competitiveness up here as well. So excited about that and. Yeah, that's that's impressing me, I guess. Um, probably more on a state by state basis. I guess um, in recent times, the, the Evos in 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 New South Wales, obviously with Trevor and Michael. I think that's been great, and certainly um, what the the slight changing the rules has allowed in that regards. And also yourselves um, having some great guys and unders like Cooper and and Kurt McCready, which you guys touched on the last one. But yeah, that'd be quite impressive. And obviously. Um, you know, Cooper came up here at one stage and was very good at Morgan Park as well. And just remember how fast he was at Bathurst uh, last year as well. So um, from a, um, a camaraderie perspective, which I think is extremely important in IP and something that uh, once you start travelling in a state, it becomes very important. Um, I would like to uh, – who, who impressed me is Macca from yeah. New South Wales. Um, spent a bunch of time with Macca at um, Island Magic. Last year we pitted next to him, and uh, yeah, w- what a guy, and sort of what a example of um, you know some of the really good relationships you form with interstate competitors and IP. So um, yeah, he really impressed me, and I look to uh, look forward to catching up with him again at some stage. South well, Australia. Unfortunately, that means you'll probably um, have to hang out with me in the pits as well, though. <laughs> oh, good. good. <laughs> South Australia. Look, I think you've got the sort of staples down there, but Scott Cook in particular, I think, has been um, impressive. Certainly, he's not just quick at home. You know, he's been to Phillip Island recently. He's been quick and um, obviously got Andy Sarandis down there. And uh, I think Pooley in particular as well is starting to, to, to reach out and go to other places and, and is becoming quick everywhere. And you've got the stalwart of, of Brownie down there as well. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see all those guys together at some stage at tail and bend and when they actually have it out down there it's going to be really interesting i suppose from a victorian point of view brawny to be honest like in terms of a um a well-seasoned traveler and someone that's um been everywhere recently and gone well brawny's been a really a really solid campaigner has proven that that car uh, and him are a great combination at any circuit anywhere and, uh, yeah, he's, 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 he's done some significant travelling in recent times. Yeah, I suppose uh, recent experience in, in Tasmania as well, just thinking about, you know, Matthew Grace and his performance down there, relatively sort of, you know, a local guy and a fairly newcomer to, 
IP is my understanding, but to finish third at your first nationals and to be you know, quite 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 dominant and, and at the pointy end of the whole weekend, um, yeah, certainly a um, a great effort on his behalf. And um, Brad Chick is the other guy down there that yeah has improved uh, in light years in, in terms of that green Commodore. It's an absolute rocket. So kind of a call out for those guys to make sure that they can they can back it up and turn up in 2021 and show us how they go at a at a non-familiar track. But I think they've all got the pedigree to do it. Can I jump in there? If, Brad, you're listening to this, I hope you are, I don't want you to bring the Commodore to no. Morgan Park. <laughs> I don't want you to bring the Commodore to Morgan Park. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Brad, you know what I'm talking about. Bring the other one, and I'll see you yeah. there, mate. Yeah. Pretty keen to do it. He said he's uh, he's he's putting it back together, so I think he's quite keen to get it out sometime. Got photos of it. It's close. Yeah. So okay. yeah, it's uh, I know this because we've been comparing notes on gearboxes lately, and yeah, look, it's um I'm very excited to see that car back on track. <laughs> anyway, he sorry, bring mate. Both if he wants, I'll drive the other one. Whatever one he doesn't want to drive, I'll drive the other one. <laughs> They're both yeah, great bring, cars. Bring both and do a come up early and decide which one's appropriate. <laughs> Boy, it'd be nice to have that problem, wouldn't it? Anyway, <laughs> sorry, Drew, I jumped in. You were talking about what about West Australia? Oh, look, I think you, you know, um, I think uh, Caligari's shown consistent speed over there when he when he runs, and and even interstate, he's been competitive everywhere he's been. So I think um, they're on top of that thing. It, you know, for for a VN, it actually handles really well, and it's got plenty of power, and you know, it's it's quite a competitive car. Where it seems to turn up. Obviously, you've got Matt as well and um that car's just improved um step by step and you know matt drives it really well and it's 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 capable anywhere at the moment as well i'm not really familiar with with many of the new guys over there but certainly very keen to see um how ash goes obviously everyone's been following um the build of the mustang and uh yeah hopefully we get to see that thing out there very soon but um yeah i don't really know too many of the other guys in in wa but um They've always turned up with uh, quick cars at the Nationals, that's for sure. For sure. And I think, you know, Ash has at least mentioned to me that he'd hoped to get the Mustang to the 2020 Nationals. So I think, safely assume, we all know what it's like building a race car, or many of us do. I'm pretty confident uh, that car will be on track and hopefully pretty well sorted uh, in time for next year's Nationals. So... Ash, keep going, and, and maybe might bring the Commodore as well. So I have a few visitors from uh, West Australia at the Nationals. It'd be good to see. Indeed. Yeah, I've got to echo the, the Caligari comment. Um, mm. I, I, I want to see that car up close because it it seems like it's performing a lot better than the expectation of it. It's driven very well. It's, you know, it's fast down the straight, but it's not, you know, at the same speed as Cherries or Pools or Wraith car. You know, but it's you know close to them, and then as you mentioned, Drew, that it's a VN which shouldn't probably be as good as a Monaro. But you know, I I would pick a VN over a Monaro for certain reasons. But you know, it's still I think a very exceptionally performing car and seems to surprise nearly everyone with how fast it is. It's always quick. No yeah, doubt. it's yep. great. Yep, very good. So, Drew. You've been, a, I guess, a fixture in the IP Queensland Committee for some years, president at the moment. I'd, first, I'd just like to say thank you for, for, for doing that, for volunteering and supporting the category and certainly in Queensland. You know, it's a lot of us sometimes complain about 
how committees are run and yet we're not you know, able to commit the time or the effort or, or are unwilling to do so. It's easier sometimes for people to throw stones from outside the greenhouse but um, or the glasshouse. But, look, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested in your um, thoughts on committee service and how it's going and, and, and uh, how you found it as, as a committee member. Um, I guess if you go back to my initial comments about being the fan on the fence to being involved and just being happy with that. To then step into a role where you're, you know, sort of the leader of the ship, it, yeah, it's a massive privilege initially. Um, you feel very, very, you know, blessed and sort of proud to be uh, representing something you sit there and idolise on the sidelines for a long time. So there's a whole, you know, um, fanboy moment associated with that. And, you know, for me, that was probably 15 years ago. But the, the whole process, yeah, it can, it can be difficult at times, but... Uh, the main thing I think is in terms of, you know, being on any club committee and those sorts of things is, and particularly in motorsport, is that one of the challenges we all face is that you need to be objective. You almost need to, you know, probably crude wording, but you almost need to be in a position whereby as a, as an individual, uh, when you're on a committee, you nearly need to forego your, your rights as an individual competitor and take that hat off and start thinking more broadly about the best interests of the category and the membership and the bigger family that we're all a part of. And and that's hard for all of us. You know, at times we're all conflicted and those sorts of things and and passionate from from various points of view. And, and that's a good thing as well. But you know, um, that's that's the type of thinking that's that's required. People just need to be objective when they're part of those um, part of those committees. So you can make decisions that are unbiased and certainly a better uh, for the betterment of everyone, so um, that's 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 the tricky part I think about being on a on a committee is divorcing yourself sometimes from yourself and from your own feelings on certain issues. I mean, it's not that your your personal opinions should be um, pushed down or anything. And, and you know, certainly from my perspective, committee meetings are the time to to get into that. And you know, it's warts and all style discussions at, in, in in those environments. But you know, to have a to have a group of people where you um, you have that have a right environment where you can have a robust discussion and come away with a decision that's for the betterment of the category well that's that's just great and i think i've seen over the times people that have possibly criticized the committee and then jumped into the committee and gone wow this is sort of way different to what i expected now that i'm in at boots and all and possibly have gleaned a little bit of a different perspective uh, being on the other side of the fence so Look, it's not a role that, that all of us have the time to do and uh, you know, for some reason I've just stuck with it. I think it's it's probably just to deal with uh, the, the, the passionate element of the category and, and wanting to be wanting to contribute, I guess. But, um, well, whatever you, what it's working and we're all very grateful and I'm sure all your local members are, you know, super grateful of your commitment and well, it's, whatever it's not just working. me, mate. It's um, we've got a we've got a really dedicated group up here and. And people that have been in these roles for uh, long-standing periods of time, so um, that that's great that they've got that commitment. But it's also good that you temper that with with new blood coming in as well, and and, and give those opportunities to new people that come into the category to to be even more if they have the time and dedication to want to do that. And again, if I think back to myself being in that position, I think it's just you got to make sure you provide that opportunity for new people as well and mm. get that blend of, of new ideas and, you know, tempered with the, 
know, the old heads and uh, the uh, the stalwarts and the experience that comes with having done it for a long time as well. It's important to have that blend, I think, Finding within the committees. Indeed, indeed. For sure. Well, Drew, thank you for, for doing what you do and thank you to everybody on the IP Queensland and, in, and indeed all the IP committees, uh, state committees and federal committee around Australia. Look, it's, it's, uh, it's difficult and I know from time to time, even Mick and I have had occasion to make criticism of decisions or, or actions that have been taken by committees uh, around the place. But look, in the end, it's a tough job. And uh, and look, Drew and everybody, we thank you for doing what you do because it's important for the category. And without you, we couldn't race. So, mate, thanks. No problems at all. I'm enjoying it. Good stuff.